All right, so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 26. It says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. As we just sat in this imagery of a baby dedication, looking at the reason why Jesus was born as a child was for the purpose of offering that body as the sacrifice that we'll press into. Verse 3, the chief priests, these are the pastors of the day. These are the Bible scholars of the day, the scribes, the elders of the people. These are the ones that assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. They said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Jesus has already spent a lot of time in the pages of the gospel confronting religious hypocrisy. I can't imagine gathering with my brothers as as pastors in a room plotting the death of another human being. But here, that's what religion did in blinding their souls. Here's the pivot in verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany, so this is on the east side of Jerusalem, up over the backside of the Mount of Olives, at the house of Simon the leper, the assumption being that Simon was a leper that was healed by Jesus, and here Jesus is in the table sharing a meal in his house. At the house of Simon the leper, a woman, this is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary came to him, having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. We're also told in John that she also anointed his feet and was wiping his feet with her hair. Listen to this. When his disciples, and these are the learners, the students, the guys that have been with them, seeing all these different miracles, they just recently witnessed him bring back Lazarus from the dead. These are those disciples that he's talking about. When When his disciples saw it, They were indignant. They were angry, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why? Why do you trouble this woman? She has done a good work for me. We'll move on, but great meditation point. Be very careful in your soul and how you critique how somebody else serves the Lord. Boy, have I got myself in trouble with that. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring out this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And we're expressing that memorial this morning. But as we focus on what is she doing, she's pouring this fragrant oil on Jesus' body, on his physical body, for Jesus is reinterpreting it. For her, it's an act of worship. Does she know that she's actually anointing his body for burial? Probably not. 
But Jesus gives the interpretation to her behavior as she's feeling led out in worship. She is doing this and preparing my body for burial, which again, Jesus has prepared all of the disciples. The reason why he's coming to Jerusalem is to be betrayed and to be arrested and to be, uh, to be mocked and to suffer and to die just for, again, for the sins of humanity, for resurrection. So they've already heard all of this imagery, uh, this teaching from Jesus, and now again he's taking this image of worship of what Mary is doing to his physical body, and he's applying it for all the disciples that are listening, getting them out of their anger, getting them out of their judgment, trying to get their attention in regards to why he is there and what he is doing. As we focus in and press into his body, again, as we just did a baby dedication, you have our almighty God took on this flesh to tabernacle among us. There is no separation and distinction between God as spirit and the body that he took on, because that body that he took on is now permanent, and we're going to watch that carry forward in this morning's text. When we sit in our bodies, we're this physical flesh. We have minds, our reasoning, our thinking process. But we also have the spirit that we're told is dead before we have faith in Jesus Christ because there is a separation. As we just did a baby dedication, that sweet little child, that sweet little child has been born into a body of death. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? We can define that because Isaiah is subject to death. I'm subject to death. You are subject to death. Our almighty God, who is not subject to death, took on this flesh to die the death that we are subject to, to take it back to himself. So as we press into the image of his body, of his person, his nature, his character, all of the, again, there's a lot of nuances that are going on that we can press into, But I think that the main theme that focuses in this final section is in regards to his body. Listen to, this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, this should be up on the wall, says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. This is a quote out of Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you, God, did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And this is a Psalm of David where the writer of Hebrews is quoting this as the son crying out to the father in prayer, you've prepared a body for me, and I have come into this body according to all that is written of me and everything in the Old Testament, all the different prophecies. The purpose is to do the will of God. Previously saying there in verse 8, so quoting, this is what was the old, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. 
He, Jesus, takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, by the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I love the argument of Hebrews takes on all these Old Testament arguments and pictures and points to how Jesus is better. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, it's focusing on the sacrifices, the sacrifices of the Old Testament and how lacking they are in fulfilling the will of God. And here the Son has been sent to perfectly perform the will of God that we, we are the ones who are sanctified, we are set apart, and we are dedicated to our Creator through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ one time for all. And that presses in back into Matthew, this imagery of his body being sacrificed in regards to the Lord's Supper, communion, which we're going to participate in at the end of the message. And as they were eating, this is Matthew 26, 26, Jesus took bread and he blessed and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. That imagery. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Again, the language. He's going to offer his body. He is going to die. But there is a future restoration where clearly there is a future life in Jesus where he is saying, I will drink this new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is a total commercial break. When we finish going through um, First and Second Samuel on Sunday mornings, we are going to study uh, Matthew. And then when we finish Matthew, we're going to come into Ecclesiastes. I absolutely love Ecclesiastes, so this is a commercial break for like two years down the road. <laughs> but this is Ecclesiastes. I plan ahead. Come on now. Ecclesiastes 9.7, I love this imagery. Go, eat your bread with joy. As we have communion letter, later, remember your, your God, your creator, your savior with joy. Go, eat, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Again, this imagery in regards to the blood of Christ and the new covenant. Solomon is not endorsing self-indulgence, but what he is saying in your life with your God, may it be filled with his joy. The work that you do, much of the work that we do revolves around eating, yeah? We need to put feet on the, food on the table. Feet on the table. Don't eat feet. That's gross. Food belongs on the table. But as we sit and, and we feast, there's to be a joy and a gratitude with the food that we get to sit down and eat. Let our souls be filled with joy and merriment. But that also applies to the communion table. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your works. He has already taken pleasure in your works in him. Let your garments always be white. So we sit in that image of he is the one who has clothed us in his righteousness. And let your head lack no oil. 
That imagery of Mary anointing Christ, his head with oil, imagery of, of, again, for his burial, but also image of being anointed, being chosen, being selected, being endued with power from the Holy Spirit. As we travel back in Matthew, focusing on his body, we're going to skip down to his prayer in the garden. Really, in this prayer, as Jesus, let's see, verse 38, it says, he is, he's, this is after supper, they've gone into this garden that's outside of the walls of Jerusalem, filled with olive trees, called the Garden of Gethsemane. And here he's, he's taken a few of the disciples along with him to pray, but it, he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. You feel the weight of the agony of Jesus as he is praying to his father because he knows what's coming. So Genesis 22, Psalm 22, Isaiah 52 and 53, Jesus knows the suffering that is coming. And what he knows is coming, he is in that intimate relationship with the Father. Father, I have come to do your will. You have given me this body to do your will. But I know what's coming. And if there is any other way for humans to be saved, to be redeemed, to be restored, to be brought into your presence, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. And again, there was no other way. So Jesus, in resignation, in all of that passion of that prayer, he is resigned to, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. As you jump through, you go through his betrayal and rest there in the garden. Jesus is brought before the religious leaders, and we're jumping down to verse 20, uh, sorry, chapter 26, verse 63. Jesus is keeping silence in regards to all the accusations that are coming against him. They're trying to bring about false testimony. He is not saying anything. And says, the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter... You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds, clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken and blasphemy. What further evidence do we need? So listen to Jesus' words. He is silent through all of these different accusations. And when the high priest puts him under an oath, Tell us, are you the anointed one? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised king of the Old Testament? Jesus responds with prophecy out of Daniel chapter 7. I encourage you to go read it. In regards to Daniel chapter 7, Jesus is claiming to be one with the Father. He is claiming to be the ancient of days. He is claiming to be that he is through what is coming about. There is going to be a resurrection, and it's a physical bodily resurrection, and he is going to be seated at the right hand of the Father where he is positionally today. In this body of flesh that he was resurrected in, his glorified body, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is going to come with the clouds of heaven in his return. So that line, as Jesus is claiming to be the fulfillment of that prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, for the religious leaders, they have no other evidence necessary that he is deserving of death. 
And the rest of, as you flow through the narrative, this is when they start to spit on him, beat him, strike him, mock him. They hand him over to Pontius Pilate. In Matthew 27, 11, Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. But I want you to jump over to John chapter 19 because it's John 18. The conversation is recorded more in depth for us. In John 18, 33, it says, Pilate enters the praetorium. He calls Jesus and says to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? It's a great question. Questions you ask about God. Are you in a conversation with God looking to give you that answer? Or are you just asking questions that you've heard from other people? Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me, but that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Listen to that sentence again. You rightly say, I am not only a king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the reason that I was born. This is the reason that I took on a body. For this cause I have come into the world to do the will of the Father, that I should bear witness to the truth and all of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. And Pilate has a pathetic answer. What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. As you sit in the rest of the narrative, pressing into everything that occurred on Good Friday, here Jesus is turned over by Pilate to be scourged. All that violence... That twisted crown of thorns placed on his head, striking him with that crown of thorns on his head, being mocked as he's being bowed down to, presented to people. Here's the man. What did the people want? Same crowd that was shouting out his blessing for presenting himself as king, now shouting out for him to be crucified. Leads into... Him bearing the cross to Golgotha there in verse 17. They crucify him, again, piercing his arms and his feet to this tree. A sign over his head declaring his name, Jesus of Nazareth, declaring his title. Here's the king of the Jews. Jump down to verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his, his head, he gave up his spirit. And there are many different 
thoughts that we can press into in regards to, you know, there's the teaching of Jesus' seven different sayings while on the cross, these final words that are coming out of his mouth. But ultimately, this final word, it's complete. The work, the reason that I came, the work is done. It's completed. It's finished. And it's at that moment that it says he breathes his last and he gives up his spirit. So here, the Almighty God, the eternal spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son, before the foundation of the world, the first plan, plan A, is that the Son was going to take on this body for the purpose of bringing about a restoration of God's creatures that broke the image, that brought about sin and death in their bodies. Here is now, when death occurs, there's that separation of spirit and body. The body goes into the grave and rots away, but the spirit has gone into a holding tank waiting for this event, waiting for Jesus to pay the price so that humanity can be brought back into the presence of the God in whose image they were created in in the first place. And it required this sacrifice, this substitutionary death. This is so as we process through Jesus and all of his attributes and all of his humanity, the body that he took on, what is he doing on the cross? What's he teaching? What's the focus? It all comes down to this event. The work that I was sent to do is done. Now listen to the results. This is back to Hebrews chapter 10. It says, for to you, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow. Sorry, this is 1 Peter, not Hebrews. We're going to get back into 10. 1 Peter chapter 2 is what this is. For to this you were called, talking about suffering, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Think of, I can, you sit, you sit in just reading the testimony of people mocking Jesus while he's on the cross, and it wells up thoughts of violence in my soul two two thousand years down the road. And here, as Jesus is being reviled, we are told he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him, to his Father, who judges righteously. Who himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. And we have that testimony. In his own body, on that tree, he was burying our sins. So that now we can reckon ourselves, identify ourselves as dead to sin, the image of baptism, buried with Christ, that we might live for righteousness, that resurrection, filling of the Holy Spirit, our spirits being born again from above, that we might live for righteousness. The beating he, he took, it's through his stripes that we were healed. Every single one of us, 
just like a stupid sheep, just wandering, going astray, walking away from our shepherd. But what's occurred now? We've returned to the great shepherd and the overseer, the protector of our souls. As you, peer, as you press into, again, the imagery of his body after he dies on the cross and Joseph of Arimathea come and other disciples, they come and grab his body. Repetitiously, it says the body of Jesus, the body of Jesus, the body of Jesus. This is in John 19:38 is where it's beginning. Because again, there has been a separation. He gave up his spirit. His spirit has left the body. The body is now being taken off the cross. It is being prepared for burial and placed into a tomb. But now, uh, chapter 20 of John, on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she, again, they know where he's been buried. She goes, it's still dark. She sees that the, tomb, the stone's been removed. She doesn't see anything. She starts running. She goes back in verse 2, ran, comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, understood to be John, and Jesus, uh, whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away our Lord. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Love it. Constant competition. And came to the tomb first, because John's the one that wrote this. So again, tidbit that he's... Take that, Peter, you old fart. Yeah, verse 5. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in its place. Look at that, kids. Jesus does laundry. There's an old joke for you. Verse 8, Then the other disciples who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. I love how thick-headed the disciples were because it gives hope to each one of us and our thick skulls. How many times does Jesus have to tell us something for, us, for it to finally sink in? He's told them repetitiously he's coming to die. He will rise again. But as yet they didn't understand, they didn't know that he must rise from the dead. Then his disciples went, again, went away again to their own homes. Verse 11, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting, one sitting at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, just, just tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away love this and Jesus said to her Mary she turned and said to him 
Rabboni, which means, which is to say, teacher. Again, here's her voice, recognition of his voice, mental recognition, visual recognition, shouts Rabboni. And what does she do physically? Verse 17, Jesus says to her, don't cling to me. So I want you to understand the language that's being told. Jesus has physically, bodily, his spirit has become one with the body that he took on and is now unified with that body, in that glorified body, for all eternity. In the imagery of Mary grabbing around to to Jesus and clinging to him. He's not a ghost. He's not some apparition. This isn't a vision. It's solid body, and she is clinging to him. That's why we have the language preserved for us, because in the rest of the image that goes on here, he is repetitiously showing the disciples and all of their doubts and all of their confusion and all of their fear, here I am. Touch me. It's finished. The price is paid. And this glorious body that you see right now that can pop into a room and pop out of a room, I will have this body for all eternity. And there is coming a day in the future when you're going to receive a glorified body and you are going to see me in my fullness because you are going to be like me because of the sacrifice that I just paid for you on the cross. Do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then on the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Again, doors closed. Here he is bodily standing in their midst. And they're freaking out. So what does Jesus tell them? Peace. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Ask the Father, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And the result of this resurrection is coming out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then back to the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 19. We'll end here before we press into communion. Therefore, in conclusion, in regards to everything that we've read, to, in regards to the body of Christ this morning, who he is, what he did, where he is today, my brothers and my sisters, have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus.
Again, the imagery is in regards to the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. There is a veil within that building that the high priest, one time a year, one individual was allowed to go into that room where the Ark of the Covenant was, covered by the mercy seat, God saying, this is where I will dwell in your midst. One person had access to it to come with the sacrifice of blood in atonement for the sins of the nation. That was the only access to that room. Now, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter that room, the holiest, by the blood of Jesus, by a new in living way, which he consecrated for us. He's dedicated a way for us. He's set us apart to this way in following him, to a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, his body. How do you enter the presence of your creator? Through faith in Jesus Christ, through his death, through his resurrection. It's through his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, not in hypocrisy, but in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, so not just sprinkling the blood as that imagery, but having our hearts sprinkled with the blood of Christ, from an evil conscience, and our bodies, our bodies, washed with pure water, the water of the Word, the water of the Holy Spirit, all of that imagery. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, without doubting. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. And what's the day that we're looking for? Again, the, when you finish out, the Gospel of Luke has the ascension in, in the first chapter of Acts. You have the testimony of the disciples as they have spent 40 days with Jesus after the resurrection, bodily touching him, handling him, sharing meals with him. They watch him in that resurrected, glorified body ascend. And as they're watching, as they watch him received up into the clouds, and Jesus says he is seated at the right hand of the power, the power who created the heavens and the earth and the power who created us. That's where Jesus physically ascended to, and in that glorified body, that's where he is, is today. And what are we waiting for? We're waiting for that day of his appearing, which he will bodily come back, seen by all, known by all, to be what? To be king. To make us one, perfect, in his holiness, and his eternity. Can you imagine? We're told in 1 John that if you have that hope in your mind and your soul, that hope that you're going to see him face to face one day, that, that that hope, that desire, that knowledge, that that's what's going to keep you on that straight line following Jesus. That's what's going to keep you pure and unspotted in this world. That's what's going to keep you attending to him. Worship team, come on up. We're going to attend to Jesus. As you sit in our tradition 
of this Easter Sunday, remembering Jesus' death and remembering his resurrection, as you come and you take the elements and you remember his body, his blood, his sacrifice, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Where are you in that relationship? Do you know him as king? Do you know him as the one who came to die for you? Do you know and understand the love, the expression that he has not only offered himself to you, but he has invited you in to him, to all that he is, to all that he has. He is freely offering it to you by choice. So you come and you take what is to image him to yourself and listen to the thoughts of your mind and to your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. Where is it that you need to be cleansed? Where is it that you just need to lift up your thanks and your praise that your almighty God is who he is? What is it that you need to repeat in your own soul to remind yourself that he's with us right here in this room? He was with you when you got ready this morning. He was with you when you were born. He's been with you every day of your life, loving you, protecting you, watching over you, allowing suffering, allowing trials, allowing the trouble into your life, constantly telling you, trust me that I love you. Trust me that I have provided for you. Trust me that I want you with me. So come to the table and get the elements and hold on to them and we'll take communion together as the body of Christ.